Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast souping up the homo sapien. Welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how to make it better. This is the show that gives evolution a helping hand, and how many fingers that hand has is entirely up to our panel here. What's next for human evolution? Well, maybe sea levels will rise, like in the film Waterworld, and humans will develop gills. Or maybe, like the film Waterworld itself, we'll all sink without a trace. I'm joined tonight by three fascinating coalitions of cells. On my left, I have Dan Schreiber. You may know him from the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast. Dan, yeah. why is there no such thing as a fish? Oh, we, uh, it's quite a pedantic point, but we found this in a book. Oh, and you like pedantry, imagine. Go on. I'd, well, I know nothing about science, as everyone will find out very soon. But we were reading this book, this huge book on fish, the Underwater Encyclopedia of Life, and it was, uh, it was just packed with every fish in the, in the world. And... Right there, in the opening few pages, there's just suddenly the sentence, by the way, there is no such thing as a fish. I love the idea of an underwater encyclopedia. I just imagine it being wet, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think I got the wording wrong on that. <laughs> no, it's cool, though. Well, uh, he is going to be our judge for today. Only one of the motions, one of the pitches that's put forward can go forward back to our boffins who are going to try and improve the human race. We're looking for a design spec for Human 2.0. Dan, you're going to have the responsibility of choosing what goes from our panel today. We're also joined by two illustrious science people. That's a good enough description. First, on our far right, we've got Frank Swain. Thank you. Frank, what brings you here? What is your interest in uh, kind of improving hey, mostly. I mean, yeah. I can bother. <laughs> He's brought here entirely, sponsored by Capitalism today, we have Frank. We're also joined by Sophie Scott, who does amazing research into the brain and laughter. Yes, yes. What got you interested in this? Uh, well, obviously, I'm an enormously serious scientist, and um, I, <laughs> for a very num- large number of years, I've been studying uh, emotions and the expressions, like you know, how we express emotions with our voices, and all the research on emotions, all of it is done on negative emotions. I mean, without exception. You could have a whole career in psychology and never encounter positive emotions. People just don't study them. And I got interested in why that was and started looking more at the fact that, you know, people do express and experience a lot of positive emotions. And as soon as you start looking at that, laughter just jumps out at you. It's, ev- it's absolutely everywhere. And it's a very fascinating behaviour. Um, well, we're just, why do we laugh? 
Well, it's interesting because if you ask if you ask humans why they laugh, they'll say because of comedy and humour and jokes. If you look at when they laugh, they laugh when they're with other people. So it's, it's something that's primed solely by other people being around. You're 30 times more likely to laugh if there's someone else there than if you're on your own. And when you that what that means in practice is you laugh when you're talking to people because that's what yeah. we tend to do when other people are there. And then we're still not laughing at jokes. We laugh um, like at statements, like I'll, I'll, I might miss my bus. Because we're laughing to show affection and affiliation and that we, that we know each other as much as, as much as anything to do with humour. Completely devalued my opening bit. With that. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I, I, I often, I often laugh on my own. Like I'll be at home and I'll just laugh. No one's around. <laughs> that's, well, that's that. But you will, be like, you will still be 30 times more likely to laugh if there's someone else there. So it doesn't, oh, okay. mean, so it doesn't happen when you're on your own. It just means it's much, much more likely to happen when there's other people so there. So is it like an empathy thing, then, more than...? It's like a... It's basically... It's behaviourally contagious. It's like yawning. You do it when you're around other people. It's a sort of you know, sign that you're acknowledging them. Yeah. And the more you know them, the more you like them, the more you'll do it. So I heard that psychopaths don't yawn because that is contagious, and they don't have empathy, and that's, they have no point in, in joining in on the yawning party. Is that true? Is that true? Um, uh, why are you asking me? <laughs> well, as a psychopath, we're just curious. Uh, if, uh... Well, if you, it's certainly if you look at babies. Babies don't do contagious behavior. So if babies laugh. Their parents will laugh, uh, but the babies don't laugh just because their parents have laughed, and they don't... They, it takes them years. You basically have to learn to do this behaviour when other people do it. So it's what something that you acquire. What if your incredibly unfunny? Well, uh, tragically then, you <laughs> probably won't All parents are unfunny. I've, I've got a kid now and I'm just starting to tell a dad jokes originally. It's just the worst things. I, I was amazed that you said you, you could be in academia and psychology and never encounter positive emotion. I think that's... Uh, if anyone else is here in academia, then they know that's probably true. And maybe of all academia. Uh, that's basically the PhD postdoc experience, actually, in some ways, isn't it? Well, okay. Um, as I say, we're trying to put together a design spec for the next stage of humans. So we thought maybe a good idea would be to look at what is happening in the world right now. I've asked each of the panel to bring along a news story. We have to consider the news itself is constantly evolving. If we look at early human civilization, news often had to be communicated by word of mouth, which was unreliable, sensationalist, and often completely devoid of truth. Whereas now we have the Daily Mail to do that for us. So who's brought along a news story that they would find interesting? Why don't we start with you, Dan, if we may? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually found a number of news stories, uh, but the first two that I really wanted to talk about, I didn't understand, so I can't, I can't actually talk about it, so I've had to throw them aside. Um, <laughs> they were so cool as well. There was, it was like, there was this thing about Aquaman uh, crystals and the idea that they've created this kind of crystal that you'd be able to trap oxygen in, and by heating it lightly, you could release the oxygen. And so if we managed to crack how to not have to do the heating with a little lighter underwater, you could actually be under underwater swimming without any need of any kind of oxygen tank. I remember this story and they said that you would have enough oxygen for sort of a day's worth of diving in a teaspoon. I do not want to be near any chemical reaction that could supply that much oxygen <laughs> so quickly. Oh, so, so then the other story I wanted to talk about, which was really similar that I also didn't understand, is, uh, is basically they can now inject these bits of oxygen into you, these tiny little capsules of oxygen. And so you don't need to breathe through your lungs anymore, it's through your blood. Uh, they haven't yet fully made it, but it's... Uh... But these descriptions, like the thing of, you know, heat... It, you're making this sound like mermaids doing crystal meth, actually, from that. Yeah. And the teaspoon, yeah, getting much more like smack. This is not where I expected this to go. Yeah. Sophie, what have you brought along with you? Uh, I've been very interested in a story about a piece of scientific research where they've established, quite interestingly, that there are many fewer differences between male brains and female brains than people tend to think there are. And they did it with a large number of participants. And it does seem to be 
it, 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 it's not just a simple thing as saying, are they bigger or smaller? They, they've gone into some detail in terms of the connectivity. And it's very interesting because it's quite a big study and it's going very much in the opposite direction because we tend to like to talk about the differences. And that's the same in science as in what the wider culture. So scientists are always doing things like running you know, seven men and five women on a spatial reasoning task and then saying, well, their brains look very different and not actually bothering to test that with any statistics because we know it has to be different. So it's quite nice to see somebody trying to just approach this with a large data set and actually saying, eh, it's not, not, so, not so different after all. Is there anything yeah. which does seem to be different? Well, you do find differences at a population level between like spatial reasoning tasks. Tend to, you did 100 men and 100 women on, um, well, males and females on a spatial reasoning task. The top three or four people would probably be, would be males. But there would be more variation within the male population than there would be between the men and the women. It's largely overlapping. It's not binary. You don't get the men all up here and the women down here. And you see the opposite profile with language. So on the whole... The top people on a language task would be women, but you know, just be hand, it would mostly be overlapping. So it's actually a lot harder to find differences that you can't account for by development, because of course that's just not saying anything about how developmentally that's occurred. Um, and I think it's 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 historically we've tended to like to argue for innate differences between men and women to explain away things to do with say inequality or opportunity, yeah. uh, whereas actually. A lot, of the, a lot of the stuff tends to disappear when you actually start to look at it more systematically. So I think, I'm, you know, obviously you've got to be a scientist, you've got to go where the data leads you, but it was quite interesting to see a large-scale study sort of coming out with a much more neutral argument about that basically there are brains. Certainly from my experience, I work with brains on a daily basis. Almost the least interesting thing about your brain is whether or not you're a man or a woman. Well, it's much, much more important, like how old you are, have you learnt to read, do you play a musical instrument, how many languages do you speak, that, that changes your brain, because it's experience, and the stuff you've done really does change your brain, so, you know, I think, and it, it would be, it would be nice to sort of see how those experiential things might interact with, you know, issues to do with being a man or a woman, but it's not, certainly not simply that you've got two different sorts of brains. Uh, my dad had a, a condition for a while, which meant he had to get injected with oestrogen, and it just made him much better. I really loved having kind of two mums. He, he basically went through the menopause, and he got quite, he got hot flushes, he got quite emotional, and he told me he loved me, and it was just one <laughs> Well, the thing to remember, though, is that these things don't necessarily work in an, you know, both male and female brains have estrogen and have testosterone. Testosterone is aromatized into an estrogen in the brain, so, you know, you're changing the level of, of a female hormone that was already acting as a female hormone. You know, so it's not, it's not a simple thing. We tend to think we must have these totally different, biologically distinct creatures. And it is not that different. Cool. Cool. What about you, Frank? What has caught your eye? Uh, well, a couple of things. I'll leap straight off from brains. So uh, we have the first ever successful uh, thawing out of a frozen brain. So you know, the idea of freezing your head and freezing your brain and, and coming back to life uh, in some distant future is a very popular one. And a lot of people have had their brains frozen. Unfortunately, if anyone here has frozen soft fruit in summer when you've got too many blackberries or something like that, you know that when you thaw them out, they turn to mush. Uh, and the same thing happens to brains. So, um, uh, yeah, but now a group of people at the, uh, what is it, 21st Century Medicine, they call themselves. I don't know whether there's any affiliation with 20th Century Fox. Uh, but they've made... <laughs> I have found a way to add some chemicals to the brain before you freeze it that prevents it from sort of getting as damaged. And they thawed out this rabbit brain, and it was in perfect nick. They didn't put it back in a rabbit. It was, they just sort of chopped up and said, yeah, it's a brain. Um, but they didn't see any of that damage. So that's interesting. Um, 
you know, is it applicable to anything we might do right now? Probably not. But it does show that the people who are getting their brains frozen right now, I don't want to, I don't want to invite a, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be sued uh, by saying they're, they're misspending their money. But I think they, it might not be the wisest investment with the current technology. I think maybe hold on for the, uh, this rabbit brain technique to, to spread to humans before we do it anywhere else. But, I mean, most people don't have the option, right? Like, they, their life ends. Well, you have to die first, so I would rather not. I know, but then you, then if you don't get it frozen straight away, then it will... Could you well, get freeze-dried? This, this, well, this is actually the problem. This is one of the things I, I, I dislike about uh, the idea of freezing brains is that, yeah, you can only do it to, to a brain that's dead. And by that very definition, it means there is so much damage that's occurred to that brain that it cannot function. Right. That's how we measure death is when your brain stops working. Um, you can measure death in other ways. Heart and lungs stop working. But, um, yeah, that's, and that's accumulation of damage. So to then say, well, it's like having a car that you smash. You, know, you, you can only store it in your garage once you smashed it into a motorway pile under 90 miles an hour. Right. Uh, it it's, doesn't work that way. So I, I had an idea a while ago, which was, so we always talk about cryogenics and putting stuff into ice, but if you remember in the movie Jurassic Park, we found that fly in the amber, right? <laughs> Why are we not putting everything in amber? That seems like such a great thing that just carries through time. That <laughs> it's not a, that is not a stupid question at all. So the, uh, the chemical they added to... say it was. <laughs> 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 well, the, the, the chemical they're using is uh, glutaraldehyde. It's essentially it's a fixative, so it's the same as amber. It's a chemical you put in there uh, to stop the brain dehydrating and these, the nerves, the links between those nerves breaking as you freeze it. The problem is glutaraldehyde is also really, really poisonous. So even if your brain is preserved perfectly and they take it back out of the freezer, your brain is filled with a very, very poisonous chemical. So there's... You know, you've added another problem into the mix, so now we need to find a way to, uh, to, to clean brains, essentially. <laughs> okay, that's uh, what's happening now in the world, but what could happen in the future? Our panel here has brought along some suggestions that they'd like to see in the next phase of homo superiorness. Mm. Sophie, what would you like to see in the human? Well, one thing that I'd quite like to see is, is to get our, our plumbing sorted out. Um, and we, we don't normally Study think on. of it. Okay. <laughs> No, it's, um, we don't normally think of it this way, but our, our brains, like our, our hearts and our livers, are incredibly dependent on a really, really, really good blood supply because along with the heart and the liver, your brain is really using an enormous amount of the circulating oxygen in your blood. So it's about 1% of your body weight and it's using about 20% of the oxygen. So there's this very beautiful network of arteries that are supplying the blood to the different parts of the brain. And in fact... Different parts of the brain have got their own little arteries associated with them. And the reason why this matters is that if something goes wrong with that supply, it will take out the bone area that is, it's supplying. So if you have a stroke, that's effectively why it damages your brain. You're starving those brain areas of oxygen. And the middle cere there is a point to this. The middle cerebral <laughs> artery territory on the left side of the brain happens to supply both the parts of the brain involved in understanding speech and the parts of the brain involved in controlling speaking, which aren't actually that close to each other, but they're sharing the same blood supply, so they can both be damaged by the same stroke. So one stroke can take out both speech perception and speech production, which leaves you with a very, very difficult problem of communication. You can't make yourself understood. You can't understand what's said to you. Now... 
that's you know, clearly an argument against intelligent design because you would never set something up to be that vulnerable. You might have put them in possibly different parts of the brain altogether. Um, but that would certainly be something that if I had any hand in redesigning brains, I would really like to get sorted out. What do you reckon, Dan? Yeah, I think that sounds amazing. Well, I like the idea of just redoing the plumbing altogether. <laughs> I've got so much plumbing that needs redone. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and that's obviously the most important bit. But yeah, um, uh, but there's, there's messier bits. That's all I'm saying there. I know what you're going with this, because I always have wondered, do we have to do that? Because there's other birds, like birds have got it even worse off. Birds have got this thing called the cloaca. And that's just, it, it translates from Greek and biology speak, meaning sewer. So that's where everything comes out. And so when birds mate, they have what we call a cloacal kiss, a sewer kiss. It's the most disgusting thing imaginable. Like, can we not just do something better? Yeah. Yeah. Don't know where we're going with that. What's the animal that's constantly urinating? Just, I can't stop. It's got a... Drunks. <laughs> no, yeah, there's lots of them. So like, uh, yeah, and eagles and trail lots. them, right? They, they, that's how they find them. They just, a uh, hummingbird has to continually uh, defecate because it cannot take in enough sugar. Uh, the, the, the amount of sugar that's in nectar is, isn't, you know, it's, it's not like a you know, fruit slurp. Uh, you know, it's not like Coca-Cola. There isn't a lot of sugar in there. And so they have to drink, drink, drink constantly to get enough sugar. And that leaves this problem of getting rid of all of this uh, water that they also take on at the same time. And so hummingbirds, they look all cute flying around doing all their, uh, you know, Snow White stuff, but they're just, they're pissing everywhere. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that also partly down to, to weight? Because hummingbirds are so, so light that if they held on to that water, they get too heavy, I think. It, oh, and they wouldn't be able to fly? It's, I think that's partly it as well. Oh, my so God. I imagine so, yeah. I mean, there's not much, there's not, there's not much places you can store that much piss inside of a hummingbird. <laughs> yeah. They're not known for having large bladders or large anything. <laughs> Oh, that's very hey, funny. I was just on flying. I was um, I was reading about a pterodactyl um, the other day that was so large. This was like a gigantic version of a pterodactyl that it actually was too large to take off from a uh, from a standing spot or a running spot. So what it had to do was climb a mountain and run off the edge and glide off. That's the latest theory about this new pterodactyl. How that it, did that pterodactyl oh, learn to do that? That's the I question. Which was the first pterodactyl that did it? Yeah, they do wonder because there's there's two theories about why flight evolved in birds even, and one of them is along those lines. And they thought the flapping was originally to add traction, so as to push them further onto the ground to let them run faster. Ah. Uh, it's not true, but like you know, it's one of the, it's one of the theories. <laughs> yeah. I much much prefer the other one, which is that they jumped out of trees. Uh, because we know that frogs jump out of trees and fly, a yeah. couple of them, and we know that snakes jump out of trees and fly. When, when I say fly, it's more likely fall without dying, so like Ryanair, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So a little bit different. Anyway, so that's a great idea. Frank, what have you brought along with you? Uh, I've just come up with a new one, actually. It was coming from what you were saying about um, male brains and female brains and these distinctions between sexes, because... You know, we've seen some really fantastic uh, progress in the last few, you know, not the last few years, the last few decades with you know, feminism and, and gender equality. And we're sort of, sometimes it feels like we're not getting at much more progress. And I just think having a third gender might help. Like, A, it would be much more interesting on a dating scene. Uh, B, soap operas would have way more tangled storylines, and that would be pretty cool. And to address my first point, if we can't sort of like improve the status of women's society, let's just create someone that's even further below them. And then everyone <laughs> can hate them. And by context, they're much better. See, it's, mathematically, it makes perfect sense. Okay. 
I don't want to touch that. <laughs> Damn, dig, dig up, please. Ooh, I've just got a call coming through. I'll leave you guys. <laughs> Although I should, I should mention that uh, we tend to be stuck in this idea that there's only two genders. That there's, there's men and women, it's male and female, and this is something that's repeated everywhere. But it's not true. There's, there's lots of species that have more than that. I think uh, if I remember my sort of biology from 16 years ago at university correctly, mushrooms have 16 different what you might call genders, different sexes, and they combine in various ways, and it can only go in certain ways. So, you know, you have between 1 to 16, you imagine 16 different letters of the alphabet, and you have that A can, can reproduce with E, but not with F, but then their offspring becomes J, and that can only then combine with B, and it's just fantastically complicated and, and would make for a great EastEnders plot. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are, but but you would, some people would argue that there probably are more than two genders, at least already, for humans. Certainly two genders, yeah. Pieces. I should choose my wording more carefully around this argument. But, but no, because it just goes really tricky. Like, we know that there's lots of um, caveat, because this is genuinely bi the biological phrase for it, so I can get away with swearing on this occasion. Cover your ears, that person in the front row. Okay? Um, they call it the sneaky fucker theory. And sneaky... What? Sneaky fucker theory is because... This is um, scientific. This is a real thing. Oh, yeah. you're biologists. It, it does have other names as well. So, like, you got alpha male... And alpha male and beta male are always having fights over the ladies. That's like Newcastle, right? And then you've got you know, all the other males all the way down to Zed male. And Zed male doesn't have a chance. So beta is spending all its time trying to become alpha. Zed doesn't have any chance whatsoever. So what does it do? It looks like a girl. And right. you find this in lots of fish. You find it in lots of insects. And they sneak past the males while the males are fighting and get along with the ladies. Mm. They are the sneaky fucker. Wow. <laughs> But so even we're going to have that. to cut this, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. but, but that's effectively like a third gender in this case. Yeah, and you could also get rid of one. So this is another way of, of, of guaranteeing you know, equality across, uh, across the whole human race. Just get rid of the men. Uh, there's a lot of species <laughs> that don't have any males in them. They got rid of them. They don't need them anymore. Um, the females can reproduce without men. Uh, the Komodo dragons do it, sharks do it. Um, Even educated fleas. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, why not? What about the other direction of just one gender? So we lose the concept of male-female, and we just go to one thing. And I think we'd get used to it quite quickly. I think there would be a period, you know, like when they change Facebook, like they'll just swap the side to the other side, and everyone's like, what the hell? And then after a day, they're like, okay, I'm back on Facebook. There is I think we'd notice it for a few days, and then we'd be like, yeah, we're all just one gender now. There's, there's the whiptail, otherwise known as lesbian lizards, and they've gotten rid of males. So they have what we call parthenogenesis, a way of producing their own eggs, but they still need to have sex in order to ovulate. So right. the females do take the different positions and mount each other and get it on. So they still get all the fun in many ways. <laughs> so, yeah. Quite literally, the women are doing it for themselves. Yes. Uh. <laughs> Lady lizards. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what do you reckon, Dan? You were talking about, you wanted eggs for some reason. That would kind of mix in well with this. Oh, I thought it'd be quite cool if we could all lay eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, all of us. Yeah, all of us, yeah. I just thought it'd be useful, I think, in a number of senses. Are we talking about chicken eggs? Like, this is breakfast, or is this reproduction? <laughs> this is... I, do you know what? I didn't properly think it out, so I... 
because I realized now you never, that you mention it, Frank. Yeah, because you never see a chicken just crack an egg and have some breakfast, do you? So I hadn't thought, what's the point of having eggs if we can't eat it? Because it's a bit weird to, to eat it. If we go to my one gender world, um, where we're all just one gender, and we all laid eggs and we all, they were fertilized, we could actually all look after the egg as a baby was being uh, uh, grown inside this egg and get on with stuff rather than it being pushed into uh, one gender having to do it. That would be quite cool. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought that. I, in my head, we could eat the eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also thought as well, it'd be really cool to have ears that um, responded to things they heard. Because you know, sometimes when you whisper into someone's ear, you can't tell the reaction if they really enjoy the gossip you're giving them. And I thought if the ear just sort of went, what? Like just a, not spoken, but just a, Do you know or what surprise. Is or... fascinating is that that actually exists. What? Yes, yes it's brilliant. Um, so this was a paper that came out around Christmas time last year. And it was a study of the brain and the nervous system around it. And they discovered that when you, that humans, even though we've, we can't point our ears, you know, some people can wiggle their ears a little bit, but humans, we're not like dogs, we can't like sort of cock them up uh, to stuff, stimulus in the environment. But what they found is you, are, you still try to. So you're, you, you subconsciously, when you hear something. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know, to a particularly, over on your right-hand side, say, you instinctively try to cock your ears towards the right, like a dog, but the muscles just aren't there to do it. And so that nervous impulse travels out of your brain, wow. so it like, tries to do it, but you can't anymore. So, so we're if, very if, close to it. If we did get like a, I don't know, a bit of wire or something, and just connect that again, this could actually happen. Yes, yeah, you could read those sort of, I don't, you know, with a great deal of signal processing, you could read those sort of nervous impulses and have little sort of biomechanical ears that were cocking up. All right. So um, in that case, we've got accidentally three pitches there. So hold on. <laughs> one of them was r- improve the plumbing of the brain. Um, re-cocking ears. <laughs> right. And what was your other one, Frank? Getting rid of the genders or a third gender? I think, on, on the argument, I think one is, more, is better than more. I think we, it may Possibly. multiply the problem. Okay. Uh, I didn't think it through. And that, that basically <laughs> does mean getting rid of males. Cause and I think eggs as well would be fantastic. And yeah. I, you know, while Play we're eggs. doing it, while we're sorting out the plumbing, 
Uh, well, we've got the hood up, as it were. <laughs> Let's get in there with the eggs. Okay, so improved plumbing, um, uncocking up our ears, uh, getting one gender, and laying eggs. Now, that is the suggestions of our panel, but the audience here at the Albany Theatre at Smashfest, they've come up with things which are even better. What caught your eye, Sophie? Um, there was two about sleep. So one person said they would like to be able to fall asleep and wake up automatically. And the other said that they would be, it would be great to not need to sleep. Well, what's so good about that? Well, um, well, the first is that you do actually fall asleep and wake up pretty automatically. You're very, very entrained by sunlight. So that's one of the main things that drives your sleep-wake cycle. And one of the things that we've done recently by introducing electricity into our world is that we've we actually suppress a lot of the things that normally happen when the sun goes down and you start to release more melatonin, start to feel more sleepy. We've put that later into our evening, so we now go to sleep later than we would have done prior to electricity. And using these things makes it even worse because they transmit more blue light, and that really stops you releasing melatonin. But nonetheless, it's still, but you're still being driven by the circadian rhythm and the lights around you. So it is a weirdly automatic process, and it's not... Um, when you kind of unhinge it from the environment, so if you are completely blind, you don't even have a retina because there are light-detecting cells that are nothing to do with vision that are driving this process at the back of your eye. Or if you're, or if you're working in, um, like in, in the, on one, the South Pole in the permanent winter and those, you know, those permanent long, dark days, what you find is people very quickly stop sleeping to a 24-hour cycle. They stay to a cycle but it starts to get what they call free run. And for most people, that's longer than 24 hours. So people start going on like a 25-hour cycle. Some people go earlier, they're going on a 23-hour cycle. So you can sort of see, when you, take, when you take away all the environmental cues to you that are in your environment about going to sleep, that you start to see something that looks very different or certainly starts to look you know, not on a day-length thing. So you are doing it quite automatically already because you're driven by the cues around you. What's fascinating about that is that you know, they've done loads of experiments where they shut people or hamsters or squirrels or whatever in a dark room and leave them there for a month. Um, and they just yeah, forgot they, about them for no reason. <laughs> this is not science. They just forgot about them. It's, it's, it's a storage thing. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they have these, you know, this rhythm, this, this wake and sleep rhythm. But the fascinating thing about that is not just that it doesn't match quite 24 hours, but that it stays quite consistent, that there is some kind of cellular clock yeah. inside you that can accurately keep time. Wow. Uh, just using cells and chemicals and stuff like that. And it's pretty good. Uh, and that is amazing, I think. That always blew my mind. Uh, but the, the using light, um, like that's really important, because I know some people at least think that perhaps the using light evolved for clocks much, much before it evolved, before any idea of vision or being able to see anything. It and was, and early clocks mm. still did. So when we had, you know, bi um, when we had mechanical clocks and everyone you know, was getting their, uh, their wind-up clock in their house for the first time, they weren't particularly accurate. One of the things you did to keep it accurate was you waited to noon when the shadows were the smallest, and then you said, right, it's now noon, so I'm going to set my clock to noon. And it may go, you know, maybe it was five minutes fast, five minutes slow, and you adjusted it. And that is exactly the same thing that is using an environmental cue just to keep your clock running on the normal time, on the time you want it to be on. Cool. Wasn't there, wasn't there a guy who lived in a cave for a very long time, underground, so away from natural light to, to test this theory about, mm. about sleep. And he did go on, he recorded in a diary all the rhythms of the time that he was waking up, and it did completely alter it, but he found it also it accuracy the cycle, within yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It you, don't, you don't go random, you don't just go 
all over the place like a cat. You you stay on a cycle, but it just you lose all track of a day length, really. Yeah. You threw in like a cat, like that was a normal <laughs> comparison. Why like a cat? Well, because there are animals that aren't being driven entirely by daylight. Uh, so you know, you've, uh, the, it, it, there's a lot of other stuff that varies. You know, affects how you sleep. And I have to emphasize, I'm not a sleep specialist. But cats and uh, you know, if they're feeling safe and they're not immediately uh, particularly choosing to eat or chase anything, go to sleep. Well, it's you know, because they, their, their rhythms are all completely out because they're spending so much time on the internet. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I do, get, I do get fascinated every time I see dogs wake up. Um, they're just ready. They're on it. They're sort of... You could get up at 3 a.m. in the morning and be like, Coco, we're going for a walk. And Coco's like, I'm ready. There's yeah. no sense yeah. of like, give me five. I'll just let me wake up a bit yeah. here. And I find that fascinating. That's such a... Because they've got no sleep rhythm. If you're an excited dog in a house, you're just ready for any moment, any bit of attention. It's weird. Do dogs have... Do they even sleep or are they just waiting? No, they're in... They're in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're waiting like ninjas, I think. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so, do we need? We do need sleep, though, don't we? Like it's... We do need to sleep. So there does seem. Um, if I mean, with the proviso, we can we spend a, like a, a third of our life doing it. We still don't know very much about what's going on. Right. But you do a lot of recovery processes in your body and your brain. You consolidate knowledge when you sleep, so you do know things better if you have the chance to sleep on them. And that seems to be partly because. One of the things that seems to happen when we're in REM sleep and we're dreaming is your hippocampi, which are two structures running down your temporal lobes, which seem to be very important in coding memories. They seem to be where your day's worth of memories go. And then while you're dreaming, your hippocampi train the surrounding brain areas about what's happened. And, that's, and, and then it, the information moves from your hippocampus into the rest of the brain and the hippocampus is ready to go the next day. And that seems to account for some of the crazy things that happen when you're dreaming. Um, but may also, that, that kind of that consolidation process seems to make your understanding better if you haven't had the chance to do that. So sleep is defragging. Yes, yes. It's, it's a very... Well, certainly certain, certain portions That is a reference that is wasted on anyone under 35, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was it? I didn't... I didn't defragging. Know. <laughs> so, why, does defragging not happen anymore? Is that a... It does, but in the background. It's kind of like uh, winding up your radio. You know, it just... It's not something we have to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's news to me. Sorry, I said uh, <laughs> But it might Whoa. be the first time it was said on a podcast, so that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Good Lord. Actually, pod- podcast is a bit like, it's a sort of like evolved radio, isn't it? But no, it's not. <laughs> um, I, shall we go to another one? Because I have one here that I really want to mention. I, uh, yeah, sure. I, this um, is, is it from anybody in the audience? It like, is from someone in the audience. This is from Claudia. Claudia, would you like to read out your suggestion? No. <laughs> oh, not unless you're going to pay her. This is... Shall I? Re- oh, go oh, yeah, yeah, because she's she coming up. so she's willing. Up. Fantastic. Uh, there we go. Okay. I think we should grow wings, is one of mine. And anything and, else? And that Definitely. war does not come as vitality in some people's minds. Cool. Thank awesome. you very much. So, thank you, Claudia. So I want to jump in on Claudia's first suggestion, which is wings. And this is one that, that comes up time and time again when people are sort of uh, doing their wish fulfillment, saying, what would you really like? Like, oh, I'd love to have wings. I'd love to be able to fly. It'd be great. But soar everywhere. I could just whoosh, you know, go up on the mountains and everything else. How many people do you actually ever see running? 
You know, it just, just to get, mm. flying is really hard. It must be like tiring. Birds, you can't see it, but they're panting all the time. Uh, what if everyone had wings, but it was just like really, 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 really tiring to fly? Uh, that's, that's my, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin anyone's dreams, but it's all like, we kind of tend to think, yeah, it'll just be great, but what if it isn't? Have you ever seen a swan trying to take off? They, you know, it's, it's not graceful. They sit there and they run along the water and they're huffing and puffing and flapping their wings everywhere. That is my fear that, uh, you know, you go through all the whole process to get some wings uh, done for you on some kind of like Russian secret laboratory. And then when you went out to use them the first time, like two minutes into it, you're like, oh man, I've just wasted 50,000 pounds, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> is, is there anything good about wings? Lots of good things about wings, absolutely. You can I'm not, fly? Not... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the main one? It could maybe. Well, yeah, but look, okay, but there's a cost. That's the funny thing, of course. Everything in evolution has a cost. So yeah. you'll notice birds don't have teeth because it's, it's their center of gravity in the wrong place. Yeah. So what are you going to lose? What would you be, Claudia, what would you be willing to lose to have wings? No. <laughs> That's a good enough answer because neither do we. You've probably <laughs> noticed. Mm. Oh, well. Eyebrows, maybe? <laughs> the very <laughs> heavy <laughs> eyebrows in your case. Well, what, do we, <laughs> what, do, what do we need to lose? What's... It's, it's the weight. That's the thing. So we need to on. counterbalance the weight of yeah, wings? Because so teeth are in the wrong place if you think about it. Wait, hang on. But birds' wings, if, if I saw a, like, a mouthful of teeth on a bird, I wouldn't be like, I bet that weighs the same as a wings. Like, that's, that's a completely different... Because <laughs> well, yeah, it puts the centre of gravity forward, doesn't it? Because your head is at the front. Like, so if, if it's a swan... How do you account for a toucan? Toucans don't have teeth, though. Ah. But they have very big beaks. Oh, yeah, well, okay, sexual selection and stuff. But we're not, there's not time for this. Okay. Um, <laughs> Take my teeth, though. I think, I think having wings would be teeth. super cool in the same way that owning like a, a vintage sports car would be super cool, where you'd show them off and be like, whoa, no way, you got one of those? You'd be like, yeah, and they're like, should we go for a spin? You're like, nah. So you want wings? <laughs> <laughs> you want wings in the sort of style of like peacock feathers. You know, it's all about the flash. It's all about the flash. I think that's all they, you know, you'd want to use them for. You wouldn't want to... Actually, flying places, maybe not. But, uh, yeah, showing them off, for sure. Shake your tail, father. Cool, man. You know, uh, you were saying, so, like, maybe we don't take for granted the fact that we can run. You don't see many people doing it. Actually, that's an incredible thing to be able to do, to run. Um, so I saw this guy speeding past me last night. He was running so fast. I, I thought there's, I could never get to that speed ever again in my life. It was just... And he was a kid, but it was just so on it. it was so fast and I thought if he goes down he's really gonna like really hurt himself and I thought isn't it weird that we haven't evolved for the fact that when we're running that we just continue running but on our hands and legs if we fall forward isn't that weird because we we've, we start off crawling we know how to do that action but as soon as you fall that's it you're babies would be terrifying if they could if they could crawl as fast as a toddler can run I know I know I'm just saying that why is it not a thing where if we do fall we can just carry the journey on Actually, straight I mean, you away do for about so. two steps but that's about it I've I know got a, I've got a question for you Sophie because as you know brain stuff and you know a bit of development things apparently when I was a child um, so I know people who... I've got friends who've skipped crawling and went straight to walking. Yeah. And I crawled like a crab sideways for the entire time. Oh. <laughs> um, am I normal? <laughs> like, what's I think you are. You, and I, 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 this is going to be an even worse reference than defragging. I, remember, I knew one baby who basically did yogic flying. <laughs> she kind of sat in a like a, with oh, a cross leg position chicken. and she kind of did that with her legs. And that got her around. And there's, there's so many different... 
ways you can get... All, the, the, the end point has to be that you're upright and you start to walk, but it's such a strange thing. Walking's more like controlled falling than anything else. It's not this kind of very well-controlled step. It's this really weird, non-linear thing. And it's... Um, you get, you get to it along a number of different routes. You don't, there isn't really... The, you, we tend to assume babies will sit up and then they'll start crawling. But they can actually do all sorts of crazy things. It doesn't in any way stop you from ending up being doing this, this final crazy thing that when we stick with. So don't worry, you're perfectly normal. Do you think there's, crap. Any, do you think there's any imprinting in that? If you, if you had very graceful parents, uh, you know, if they were Fred Astaire, uh, would, you, would you learn as a kid just to move more elegantly? I don't know, but you can sort of see babies prioritising different stuff. So some of them like crawling forwards because you can, it really changes how you see the world. And other ones, it's simply important to be moving. You know, it, it, babies aren't... Well, they're as complex and variable as adults, and they have different, different crazy things they wish to do, <laughs> primarily to get away from you and to make your day different. So let's add that, actually, Dan, because I think that's a great one, the idea of optional going back to being quadrupedal, you know, just mm. when you want. So falling forward and continuing. I think that's cool. So, we've got improving our plumbing. We've got uncocking ears. Uh, I can't read my own handwriting. That'd That's be a useful a, thing to evolve. Uh, that one. is um, one gender. Oh, yeah, one gender. Oh, yeah, I only I got say gen. one sex. We keep mixing this up. But one, we'll go sex. For one sex. Yeah, okay, Everything sex. in one. One sex. Uh, lay eggs. A sleep switch. We've got wings and optional quadrupedalness. These are good suggestions from our panel and from the audience. I'm going to give you a few more from nature. This is a quick game we're going to play called Splice of Life. And for Splice of Life, well, I'm going to show you three creatures. Tell me what would you steal from these. So first of all, we have salmon. Oh, the ability uh, to swim up waterfalls would be pretty sweet. I'm, I'm yeah. into my swimming. I'd take that. Do you know my favorite, one of my favorite things I've seen on the internet uh, outside of cats again recently is in some place where they've got dams now, they've developed salmon cannons for shooting oh, salmon. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You, yeah, but it's pretty bad because some of the local bears have worked out the exact spot to sit in. So the salmon gets shot through a cannon and they sit there with an open mouth and it just lands right in and they just feast like crazy. It's, it's, it's nuts. There's footage of that. delivery well. service. It's a cardo for bears. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's a second trouble because eventually, you know, somebody will learn to use a salmon cannon in anger as well. Like they will actually just. You know, something you don't like. Oh, yeah. Imagine a salmon on your face. That'd yeah, be awesome. I know, but you don't want to bring a salmon cannon to a gunfight, do you? You don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying incredible leaping from a salmon. Cool. Leaping from water, more importantly. Okay. What about this one? I, I thought it might be... They've got, uh, they have got magnetite in their brain cells, so they can tell north easily. Incredibly good at that. Okay. Is it true that dogs can tell north, um, and so they pee north every time they go to the toilet? Why are the? Why are those? I, actually, the thing is, I know that is true because okay. I've recently read it, but I still don't know why they do it. Right. Like, why did they say I will only pee along the thirty-second parallel? What's the reasoning that they're? Yeah, but it makes sense of you know when you see a dog doing that circular thing before they go to the toilet, so they're looking for north, and then like found north, and then they have a pee. There's, but I think. Is, I, that, is that male and female dogs, or is it? Is not it sure, actually. I was, yeah, I was hoping Simon knew more. Oh, no idea. Uh. <laughs> Answers in the postcard, please, genuinely. Or tweet us at Level Up Human. We'd love to know the real truth. Uh, what about hyenas? What would you steal from a hyena? Uh, 
Well, <laughs> I know exactly yeah. the thought that just well, went through your head. Not the laugh, but someone in the hyena group has a great sense of humor, so I'd love to have that. <laughs> someone must be telling the jokes, right? Hyenas are 30% more likely to laugh. And come. I don't know if that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> probably, well, they probably do. I think there's a lot more laughter out there than we, than we know. Whenever you look for it, you basically find it in mammals. So I think the problem has been we just haven't really been looking for it. Even if hyenas also do something else which sounds a bit like laughter, they probably have a play behaviour, which would be more like the actual laughter we're talking about. If guys are feeling a bit self-conscious, we could steal the girls' giant penises. I was going to go with giant penises. I, that was, I was, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you to have the woman the sense of humour, but I was going to go with the, the female's giant penises, because I'd just like to have a go. <laughs> I've heard some crazy stuff about those things, and I accept that you know this is just you know hearsay and everything, but it would just be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think. We'd... And if I'm going to nick one, I'd, giant, I'd nick a giant one just because. That's not... <laughs> I do think they do have to give birth through them, though. Yes, right? no, I, well, you know, but that's well, that's not a walk in the park for humans anyway. So, yeah, yeah know, fair that? point. Okay, a final one. So that's a uh, okay laughter and. Laughing at giant penises, why not? <laughs> and our final species, owls. Ow. What would you steal from an owl? Asymmetric face. Do they? What do you mean but, asymmetric um, face? They, so all um, chordates that use sound basically can to compute, even if you move your ears around, you, you have to compare across the two ears to know about where, where spatial location is. So if you hear a sound here on this side of your head... You know where it is. Great radio. Because <laughs> you, you basically, it, 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 the sound hits one ear before it hits the other ear, and there are spectral differences and shaping from your head and all this. Now, that's, that's, but that's basically all there is. And what owls do, certain species of owls, is they, they exaggerate this, because, of course, you're limited entirely by the size of your head as to how far apart your ears are. So that gives you... The only difference you've got across the ears is how far apart they are. And owls actually exaggerate this by having asymmetric facial feathering. Wow. So that they're actually exaggerating the differences between the two ears. Wow. I think some owls... Like, this is not my fact for this one, but I think some owls even have... The shape of the ear canal is upside down. Yes, on so you're exaggerating the difference. It's yeah. incredible. So if you've ever seen those pictures floating around on the internet of people wearing these sort of earphones with trumpets that come out to hear, uh, those are real, and that's from mm. the First World War for exactly this reason that they were listening for planes. And the, as well as gathering, you want to gather more sound because the planes are very far away and the sound is very faint, but by putting them on really long poles so your ears are effectively six feet apart it allows you to point and find the direction of the plane that's coming in a lot better. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. Perhaps the snowing out. I'd, oh. love to, uh, I'd love to take their, the head-turning ability. You know, the... Oh, yeah, they can go over 360, can't go they? Go over 360. Because that would be... I mean, if you're on, like, a crowded over tube... Over 360, I'm sceptical. Uh, it can't be over... Yeah, it can't be over through 360, maybe. Three, three, oh, I, I thought it was, like, from full starting point and all the way down to 360. That's how you make owl stew. Is it not that they can look... So they could look back over 180 degrees, and they can look back over 180 degrees the other way. Oh, okay, right. Gotcha. So that's over 360. I thought you meant from a starting point, 360 all yeah. the way through. Yeah. yeah. Like I guess if you chose yeah. your starting point that would correctly, be, then that yeah. would make sense. If yeah. you were an owl and you said that on your Tinder profile that I can turn my head 360, I'd be like, that is awesome, and then I'd be so disappointed on the date when you're like, well, I could go that one a bit. 181 on this side, 181 on that side. Not. Yeah. I would have swiped left. That's all I'd say. <laughs> Fine. All right, then. So, well, um, Dan, you're going to have to yes. choose for us. 
So we've got improving, improving the plumbing of the brain in particular, but some of our other rubbish organs. Yep. We have got uh, wiring the ears to be more expressive, like a happy horse. Getting only one sex, laying eggs, be they cream or not, uh, a sleep switch, new improved wings, um, the chance of going back to being quadrupedal and running around on all fours. I've just written this one down as incredible. Incredible what? <laughs> you have. You've just written incredible. I'm so <laughs> sleepy. This, this is, this, um, we're at Smash Fest, you see. I've been doing shows all day, and it's been really, really fun, but I'm ruined right now. <laughs> um, salmon. Oh, salmon. salmon. Yeah, the yeah. incredible leaping abilities of salmon. Yes, salmon cannons. Although, bearing in mind that we'd have to be fish for that. Um, a laughter. And a, giant penises. Laughing giant penises. Laughing Just giant people. Crikey. It's like the hen. <laughs> it's like the world's worst hen night, that. A laughing giant penis. <laughs> An asymmetric face, a bit like that guy from the Pogues. And finally, perhaps the ability to turn our head over 360 degrees. Yeah. What do you reckon? I, the plumbing's very important. I think that's very important. I do like the idea of ears, though, sort of going, what? So, um... <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the ears. ears Am I allowed to go with my own suggestion? Probably not. Let's go for something else. I'll go for... Uh... <laughs> no, you're not. Crikey, yes. That was... Yeah? Okay, now what, what do you want? Go for Well, okay, I, I want to go for the ears because we did have it and we've lost it. So I like the idea that we can re-evolve into having ears that you know, can register surprise and... and... Devolution, because it's working for Scotland. Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, ladies and gents, you've heard it there. De-evolving ears. We will take that back to our boffins as if they really exist and pretend to try and improve our condition. Um, before you go off, we'd like to do a massive thank you to Smashfest and the Albany Theatre in Deptford for hosting us. And please give a round of applause to the audience here, Frank Swain, Sophie Scott, and Dan Schreiber. It's been wonderful talking to you. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. Hello, me again. We have some awesome live events coming up. Please come along. We'll be at the Cambridge Science Festival on Thursday the 16th of March at the Wellcome Genome Campus with Samantha Baines and top-notch geneticists. On Wednesday the 22nd of March, we're having a comedy night, Stand Up Human, with some of our lovely guests at the Book Club in East London. We'll be at the Science Museum London Lates for a Royal Society special on the 29th of March with the Chase's Paul Sinna and Royal Society Fellows. Go to our website, Facebook and Twitter for tickets and information. You can support our podcast at patreon.com forward slash leveluphuman. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.